What is up, everybody? Happy Thursday. My name is Mark. I have a YouTube channel called Uncultured Currency and Half-Breed Observer. And this is my co-host. Hey, guys. I'm Mo from OTB Clubhouse. Welcome, welcome, everybody. Thank you for stopping in. We're going to make this pretty quick, all right? We've got a guest in the background, so we're going to just touch on some stuff real quick. Less than five minutes. Let the audience come in, and then we're going to get straight to our topic for today. So make sure you have a pen and paper ready, because today you're going to learn how to invest properly from an actual analyst. So first of all, Mo, how are your trades doing, man? We talked about trades last week. How are they doing? Uh, I think, dude, we've been on point, and me and you do a pretty bad job about talking about that. So uh, let's take a second here and talk about China and how well China's done. We called it before it actually happened, and I believe um, it still hasn't happened yet. I think China's got a lot more room to go, especially after Feds are pausing and the interest rate cut that China is doing. So. A lot of good things coming China's way. All right, yeah. So you spoke about Neo. I'm in Neo. Uh, I got into that today. I actually have cash secure puts. I've cash secure puts some shares and uh, a ten dollar call. And then I have um, oh shit, I'm in QQQ. I didn't realize that. Okay, I'm in a vertical <laughs> um, bear spread for um, QQQ. So I'm up on that. Apparently, it expires tomorrow. Sixteen percent in Lucid as a trade. XOP. If you guys took the XOP. You should be over at 50%. And then we got into Roblox today. My VIX absolutely tanked. That did not work out at all. The volatility didn't come in as, as planned. And that was a losing trade. What, what calls did you have, if you don't mind? Uh, initially, three weeks. I think it was two or three weeks ago, I had gotten a $17 call yeah. when it was around $16. And then I added this Monday, I added a $15 when it was like a 14 something. And it did nothing. They both are down. I'm holding a 17 call, which expires tomorrow, just because I was like, I'm like down 88% or something. So it's whatever. So I, and I'll tell you this, maybe you can do this again. I usually go at the money. So I have the 14 for June 21. They were up on Monday. So sold 80%, nice. only kept 20% just in case something happens. Um, question about a firm. My goal for a firm was $20, then 25. You have to understand, you can't play a firm like NVIDIA or Tesla. These stocks are very volatile. So yes. it hit that 1970 range and went down. I think it's going to break out. Just see what's UPSD done. A firm's going to follow. This isn't because a firm's such an amazing stock. This is a lot to do with what's happening with small and mid caps and how they're getting squeezed. Um, and I'll quickly cover one last one and then we'll get going. Uh, KWEB. If you guys were on the live on Wednesday or today, they hit July 21st, 33, 34, 35 for close to 2 million in calls. I think China's going to start buying at night today. My goal is to open flat tomorrow for China so I could add more. Um, I had a lot of stuff. I had CCL. I had a firm. I had shop. Shops gone from 58 to 65. I think we get to 75. Um, I'm starting to trim profits. Uh, FedEx is going. UPS is going. The only thing I'll warn you is watch the seasonality from here all the way till September, which we'll probably talk about it sometime soon. But back to you, Mark, and then we'll, uh, I think we have, don't have enough time today. We're going to make sure we cover every single thing. Yes, because so we um, covered Cast Secure Puts class. We cat, we covered Cover Call class. We had two people who do the wheel strategy, which is a combination of both of them. So we completed that series before. Um, we're not going to start picking up a series on how to be a proper investor and how to analyze companies properly. And that's the reason I want to bring our today's guest on here. Because this person killed it. He beat the market. Basically, it was the last year when everyone was down, he beat it by 20%. So, and this is not no cap, no nothing. He's strictly an investor. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome, um, Capital Mindset. 
What's going on, man? How you doing? Hey, how you guys doing? <laughs> yeah. First of all, thank you. Hey, it's, it's true though, right? You beat the market last year. I know you don't like to brag. You're very <laughs> humble. You don't like to talk about it, but it's true, right? Last and year. we can we can talk about that with the topic of how to kind of spot people who are trying to grift. Yes. Uh, usually, yeah. But that that gets into to that topic. But yeah, last year I did beat the market. Um, so I eked out around a 20, 22% return and the market was, I think down, I think it closed off between whatever time period you look at. If you measure from December to December or January to December, it's around 20% down was the S and P I believe. Yeah. So you actually around did pretty that. well. And the year before that, I know you beat as well and the year before that as well. So, I mean, you've been doing pretty damn good. So far, but I don't want to jinx it. Yes. <laughs> Knock on wood. Yeah. Uh, but for our audience who does not know who you are please tell people real quick who you are so um i'm fabio but i have capital mindset which is a youtube channel i started for pretty much the sole purpose of trying to combat bad information here on youtube i was actually forced uh to start the youtube channel by a good friend of mine who we would have conversations um in basically our own private circles and he said to me one day he's like you should really actually make a youtube channel because he was at that time at that moment in time following these other youtube content creators who were providing what i believed and what he realized to be bad information at that time um so because at the end of the day youtube is what i love about youtube and also what i kind of don't like about youtube but i accept is that anyone can make content and mm -hmm. so you get a lot of good you get a lot of the bad the hope is that the good filters through uh, but in the at least in the early innings of YouTube, it, YouTube is also a momentum's game. So the ones who dominated are basically going to continue to dominate because the algorithm uh, floods all the new viewers who are, let's say you're just getting into finance and you go on YouTube. YouTube is more than likely going to recommend you the meet Kevins of the world, the Jeremy's of the world, et cetera, because they are the largest content creators. So absolutely. And, uh, and then what's your finance background? Uh, so I have a finance and accounting background. So I've worked now in, in both fields uh, to some degree. In the uh, accounting background, I, have, I was an auditor for a big four firm. In the finance background, I worked for a boutique, private equity, and without getting into the name of current employers, but yeah. currently I do work in finance um, and as an analyst. So that's pretty much my my professional background as far as investing goes i've been investing for now over yeah uh over or no at, at a decade now so i've been putting in about a decade i wish i had more but that's the whole point about investing it's always a, a journey done well thus far and uh built a strong community now i think on through capital mindset uh, where it's a lot of like-minded investors um, and there's people on there who make my a dwarf. Okay. My, <laughs> okay. Um, and I think that in investing is all about aggregating information. So I like to think of my ability to, to talk to people who have more knowledge than me on certain topics and digest it and then try to, from there, make decisions on that, that can hopefully make me money. So gotcha. Yeah. Appreciate it. So, what do you got for us? I wanted to bring you on so you could try to actually break down how to properly analyze a company before investing into it. Sometimes I feel like we get too hyped on these stocks that are popular on Twitter or that you see in the news. Um, but you actually have real experience how to break down companies. So please kind of give us a little or educate us a little bit on how you analyze companies prior to investing into them. Cause you found some pretty good hitters of companies I've never heard of last year that did very well. Yeah. So really what you, 
so I'll, I'll go on a high level and then we can break it down and go a little bit more into the detail. Okay. But on a high level, what you're trying to do, first of all, let's let's focus on the mentality going into it. You have to break the mentality that a lot of retail investors don't come to the table, which is ownership in business. So it's people. It's funny when you talk to people and it's really true. Uh, Buffett says it all the time. And I know it's like a tired mantra at this point because everyone says it, but it's different from hearing it over and over and over again and actually applying it. So people still don't apply it. And I still find people who repeat the words, but they don't follow the words, which is you have to think about investing into the stock market as ownership in businesses. So when you come to the table with that mentality and you, and you truly do, it, it helps you mitigate a lot of the mistakes that a, a new person, a new investor will make. Uh, so understanding that ownership mentality re reminds you that, okay, uh, why, what derives the value at the end of the day? Okay. And hopefully it kind of steers you away from, from a lot of the, the hypey stuff uh, because you start to ask yourself, what is it that I own underneath this all? But Going into that, so that's the psychology. That's not really any part of the fundamentals or pillars, but you have to first start there. Um, so I look for a durable competitive advantages. Now, that's just a funny phrase. What does that mean? Durable competitive advantage. That's just any business that for how it's designed, structured, or what it does is better at others, and you have to be able to identify why it is so. So um, every company is going to tell you that they have one, right? Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, <laughs> everyone's no, no one's going to say, oh, we do not have a durable competitive advantage, but you can look for things that tell you that they do have one. OK, what are the things that tell you as an investor that the business you're looking at has a durable competitive advantage? You can look at, for example, sector growth and they are growing faster than the sector. OK, there's a quick example, high level. So if the sector is growing at 20%, but the company you're looking at is growing at 25, 30%, why is that? Why are they growing faster than the sector is growing? They probably have a very good product, very good service, et cetera. Another thing you can look at is their metrics like return on invested capital, right? That's, that's like a little bit of a smell test as well. So for every dollar they're able to invest, they're able to return a make or generate a high return. That can tell you that one, what they're doing or what the, it actually tells you multiple things, but sticking to this topic before we get into management quality is they're probably involved in some sort of service or selling some sort of product that it has uh, a lot of barriers for other competitors to come in. Because if, if you have a ton of competition, you're probably not going to have as much opportunity to generate as high margins. And that's a really good segue into margins. So margins is another kind of smell test that an investor can use to determine if a business has a durable competitive advantage. And how do those margins stack up over time? I'm going to give you guys a real world example. Everyone pull up uh, at your own time. Uh, pull up Visa or MasterCard. Look at their net margins. And okay. if you want to pull them up live right here, we can do that too. Yeah. Do okay. you have it? I mean, do you have it up on your screen? You can share. Okay. Yeah. I'm going to go ahead and pull it up here. But, but Visa and MasterCard is usually the, the two companies I like to use as an example um, of two businesses. And I'm going to actually leave out or not leave out, leave. Um, let me put you guys over here and then I'll share my screen. Uh, okay. So we'll do... Uh, yeah, this, this should be good. All right. Let me see. Let me know if you can see that. 
Okay, there you go. I'm using I'm using actually a free source. You can use a seeking alpha. It's not the best source, but it's it's good for this purpose. So okay. you have Visa, and I left a couple other companies there that aren't necessarily comparable. So don't actually use them as comparisons. People make PayPal, Visa, Mastercard comparisons all the time. They're not really applicable. But Visa and Mastercard, what you'll notice uh, as you go down here to the uh, margin category or profitability category, you notice, uh, where is it? Net margins, net margins, net, net income margin right there. So 50% net income margins. That's absolutely ridiculous. I, you will not find many companies on this earth that have uh, that level of margin. And then you look at MasterCard, similar story there. Actually, MasterCard's net margins, I think, have gone down a little bit because I think they used to be pretty close. And you can see the gross profit margin. Um, that, that I wouldn't really look at that all too much because that's more of the nature of what they are, the cost to deliver. Deliver. This is more accounting terminology. The cost to deliver their service is very low. So MasterCard's net, uh, gross profit margin is 100%. Um, but that's because it, it, to, for them, what it costs to deliver the product, or the cost of sales is practically zero. Um, so, But look at that net income margin, and it tells you a really good story there. So that that's getting into that. I love that word story. So a lot about investing is actually developing a story. And when you actually work uh, with, let's say, uh, when you're delivering a pitch, mm -hmm. right? And, and you're trying to uh, explain to someone why this is a good investment. Let's say we're all business partners and mm -hmm. I'm trying to you know, sell you guys on an investment that we want to make. Well, part of that, my job in order to do that is I have to come up with the story. The story is how you as an investor follow along and you get to the end conclusion of, do I buy, do I not buy? Um, but that's also a very dangerous part that if we get into, I think, uh, uh, about social media is that we we can start to develop stories on on weak foundations. Yes, okay? I agree. So, a lot of people do that, like with Alex Karp a lot, um, Elon Musk, different situation. But I get what you're saying. Basically, you follow a story, but don't get too attached to the story because it may not actually equal to what's happening behind closed doors. That is that is when you're getting into. Well, that's a really good segue into emotions and in investing where people fall in love with a company and mm -hmm. they they kind of put blinders on. So when there are red flags that show up and if you want to know about the the good stuff, we can also talk about red flags of companies. I know we wanted to get into red flags of content, mm -hmm. uh, but let me finish off with uh, the another thing that you could look for. And honestly, there's a lot of things to look for in a solid investment, but insider ownership. Let me caveat that because I put an asterisk on my notes here on purpose. Um, but the, the, the caveat is I don't blame a company if they don't have strong insider ownership. I would also, to be more detailed with this description, um, I want to know that the management has a lot of their net worth in the company. So if I see a company that, um, you know, let's, let's say the 50% of the company is owned by the CEO. But mm -hmm. the CEO is worth a um, hundred times more than the entire value of the company. Okay, that's example one. Example A. Example B. The CEO owns uh, one percent of the company, but he has ninety percent of his net worth in the company. Which of the two do you think has a monetary desire, right, or incentive for the business to succeed the most? Probably example B versus mm -hmm. example A. <laughs> 
even though the number, when you look at insider ownership, you're like, wow, the uh, guy, uh, example A, that guy owns 50%. That's what you know. people on YouTube say. That's high insider ownership. That's That must be great. Oh, no, not, not always, right? We want to be careful with that. So more, more detailed than that. So we want to see high insider ownership, but an asterisk around there. We want to see that the management team more specifically has a lot of skin in the game. Usually, if you see high insider ownership, um, that indicates that most of the net worth of the management team is in it because people aren't worth literally uh, tens of or hundreds of billions of dollars on a on a you know let's say outside of their business. So like Jeff Bezos, he owned he's a he's a worth over a hundred billion dollars. Mm -hmm. And you look at where all that wealth is; it's an Amazon stock. Jeff Bezos has a monetary incentive that Amazon does well. Elon Musk, same thing. So they're worth a lot, but they're still really highly incentivized uh, to do so. And they still own a high portion of the business. So you want to look for that as well. Um, but it's not like a definitive rule. You can find management teams that have small insider ownership, but they themselves are really tied to the success of the business. Um, and they'll still do a good job. So I'll kind of lay it over to you guys. I don't want to ramble too much, but if you guys have any other. Um, no, you, you're doing pretty good. You got anything, Mo? Just wanted to yeah. I was going to say, you know, you were talking about emotions and I read the book uh, Psychology of Money and they even talk about how people um, tend to fall in love with the stock. And, um, you know, that usually happens because they have a position bias. One of the things I've noticed that like sometimes because I'm a trader and when I talk a lot of investors, one of the things that really throws them off is when I ask them is at what point would you sell the stock or cut your losses? At what point would you change your thesis? And 90% of the time, people that are emotional, they get rattled or their answer is very subjective. There is no objective metric they've put in to cut their losses, which tells me that they're very biased. Yeah. And uh, I'll kind of add, um, I guess, more uh, examples or anecdotes to it. When I would when I would make very negative videos back in uh, 2021 uh, or 2022 in the early mm -hmm. days of Capital Mindset that were contra to the narrative of a lot of these hype stocks. I got some negative comments. <laughs> People are really invested in the success of, of these businesses and, and to the point where they get angry if they hear a counter opinion. And anyone watching right now who gets angry to counter opinions, change your mindset on that. You should be very happy that someone posts a negative video about a stock you're heavily invested in. You should be very happy because they are gonna, they're coming to the table with a different opinion than you. You want to hear their opinion. Now, it doesn't mean they're right. doesn't mean they're wrong. That's a separate analysis mm -hmm. that you have to make. But at least someone out there is giving you, and it's free information practically, a different perspective on your investment. And maybe they have, they know something or they, they're highlighting something that you didn't somehow know about. So it's more of a gift, but, but people get very emotionally tied up to their investments. And this is a main reason for why most retail underperforms. I believe that most people are capable deep down uh, of becoming good investors, but they're strapped by, and, and I, actually the counterpoint to that was like, well, that's their personality. Therefore they're not capable of it. Okay, fair. But, um, <laughs> but um, uh, if you think that they're capable of change or at least suppressing or controlling those emotions, then they, you, you can move on to the next step, which is, you know, mastering that analysis. But. Good. So when you're analyzing a company, so you kind of talked about a top down, what are some things that you look on the, I guess, like the earning statements or uh, what are the main things that you look for? Oh, easy. 
So when, when I'm looking at a business, the, the first couple things that I want to look at is first look at what can blow up, right? And that's kind of like the bond investor mentality. Look at what can blow up first. So look at the leverage. How leveraged are they? Um, because the only way a business can go bankrupt is if they owe more money than what they have or what they can produce. So go look at the leverage first, right? And so uh, go look at that long-term debt. Go look at that current portion of long-term debt. So that's your liquidity and solvency ratios. Liquidity ratios, so I can expand on that, is your short-term your short term health of the company. So things that are due within one year and what you have within one year to pay for those bills. And then solvency ratios are measuring the longer-term picture. So what your longer term assets are compared to your uh, long term liabilities, right? Mm -hmm. So if you have a lot of debt, right? But let's say none of the debt is due until 50 years from now, which, you know, by the way, Disney and Brookfield are two companies that issued debt 50 years for 50 years. They don't have to pay back for 50 years. They did that wow. during COVID. Nice. That's, <laughs> you that's you try to do that. <laughs> you yeah. can't do it. I can't do it. Uh, but those two companies did. And, um, uh, but basically, let, let's assume that. Well, then that's not an issue. So you you owe a hundred billion dollars, and you you know you let's say you don't borrow any more, but you only owe that at fifty billion. Sorry, that that hundred billion in fifty years from now is it that much of a problem? Well, it depends on your operations, but that's context that gets added to it. You look at um, you know your your debt pile, and you see okay, long term debt of uh, a couple billion. You have ten million in cash. It's a couple billion. But you're generating a decent amount of cash flow. But if you look in the details, you find out, oh, crap, a lot of that debt is maturing next year. <laughs> okay, well, what does that mean now? Well, you better hope that they're producing enough cash in the short term to pay down that debt. Because what happens if they don't? Well, they can refinance. Why, why am I bringing that up? Refinance. I know I'm getting all over the place, but these are... Oh, did he freeze? Uh, lot, yeah, I think I froze for a second. But refinancing is an important topic right now because look what happened with interest rates. So if you're a business and your refinancing cycle fell within these couple years, well, you got really unlucky. If your refinancing cycle fell within 2020 and 2021, you were really, really, really lucky because you were able to refinance that debt at really low rates. But now there's a lot of businesses out there that I point to that have revolving lines of credit. Uh, let's point to uh, Sleep Number Corporation is one that I can think of off the top of my head. Revolving line of credit um, or a couple other businesses that you might find out there that have a lot of short-term debt or debt coming due. And they're going to have to refinance in a high interest rate environment, which is, you know, for obvious reasons, unfavorable in comparison. And that's going to increase their interest expense, which lowers your earnings potential. So all that to be said, these are leverage is one of the first things you want to take a look at. It's the most important uh, initial, I guess, analysis. Then you can kind of start looking at the operational side of things. And you can, you can look at the operations within the income statement. Uh, and then you can also choose to accompany that with the statement of cash flows. So the statement of cash flows is non-GAAP. I, 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 I know that there's um, almost like a, a mislabeling going on on YouTube because people are going- With non-GAAP, you know, right? Non-GAAP and yeah. GAAP. Mm -hmm. And I hear sometimes people say that cash flow statement is a gap. You know, it's it's it, it's what a gap allows. No, all, everything in the cash flow statement, that's that's a non-GAAP, non-GAAP. Gap is is referring to when we're talking about income is referring to the income statement. 
And it's, uh, or, or GAAP, by the way, is generally accepted accounting principles for those of you who um, may not know that. So when we're looking at the income statement, it's supposed to show us a more stabilized, real uh, explanation of current business operations. People have complaints that GAAP uh, doesn't, um, or it puts in a lot of non-cash expenses in there. And then people also complain about the cash flow statement because it doesn't take into account stock-based compensation because stock-based compensation is a real expense. Um, and if you want to go into a red flag, I actually have that down. If you see too much stock-based compensation to increase um, uh, cash flows, right? Mm -hmm. Because the cash flow figure will look better if you're using a lot or you're paying a lot of your expenses with SBC. For the business, it's, a, it's not cash that's leaving the business. For the investor, it's a real expense. So you, you do want to account for that. Gap accounts for it, but uh, statement of cash flows does not account for it. So it's givens, gives and takes. But Can you give us an example? Can you run through like a specific stock real fast, pull something up and show us like how you would analyze it? For example, Disney. All right, Disney. So um, I'll use um, I'll use the free service still. Okay. Yeah. I, by the way, it's not that it's um, completely free. Seeing Alpha has a premium version. Uh, I'm just saying you, you can see most of this stuff for free. Um, but yeah. So if we're looking at, and I'm going to put it, yeah, on the left. I want to put it on the left. So first off, I'll, I'll start here to kind of tell me a story. Again, I'm looking for a story, assuming I don't know what Disney is. But hopefully you come to the business knowing already a little bit of context or hopefully a lot of context, actually about the business because you want to know first what they do um, again going into that topics I covered do they have a durable competitive advantage and then we'll get into the other stuff about um, high ROIC etc but okay. okay so I see a story here I see sales right that's a good place to start sales is going up up and to the right or in this case to the left and then I see the story of gross profit gross profit is telling me how much is it how much are they keeping after the expenses incurred to deliver their product or services well, now look at the stories telling me here. It's a lumpy story. It's not it's not up and to the left here. So they went through. OK, what year was that? What year is this? This is 2020. Exactly. So so then our, our mind should go, OK, what's the historical context? What was going on around there? COVID. So mm -hmm. COVID happened and you see a period gross profit uh, came down nicely. Not nicely, but you know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> it came down a bit um, and then subsequently recovered. OK, so we see this recovery and the drop is explained a little bit by COVID. That's the context we need a lot. There's a YouTube channel, Everything Money. They they seem to have no ability for any context implementation whatsoever. Uh, <laughs> shots thrown. <laughs> I, I'll throw some shots for entertainment. But <laughs> and then we have operating income. Very similar story. Now, here's something interesting. So they haven't recovered. We see right over here the 14 billion that they experienced in 2018, subsequent 12 billion. Well, we'll give them that, you know, two billion dollar difference, 2.8 billion dollar difference. That's not that bad. It's that's normal fluctuations. Suddenly, okay, but that's COVID. Why haven't they recovered all the way? Well, you start to tell the story, you look above the line item and you see, okay, well, there's this line item here selling general administrative expenses. There's a lot of things piled in there. Basically, the administrative side of the business, uh, and you could also argue the, the marketing side, so to speak, the selling side, so to speak, of their products, uh, got a lot more expensive. It actually doubled throughout that time period. So this cost doubling uh, made up for the fact that even the revenues went up. And context, what 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 happened? Uh, so Disney Plus. So Disney Plus was a huge revenue growth driver for Disney, but it's also a very expensive product. 
So at the end of the day, the operating income we saw is now uh, suppressed, relatively suppressed to historical comparisons. So we're in a, we're right now looking at a business that is struggling. Okay. It's uh, not doing so hot. And keep in mind, uh, this was, this was your red flag. I made videos on Disney negative before I made negative videos on Disney and you had this information back then to work with. Uh, you had this story playing out in front of you where Disney was growing sales and the market was loving it. But when you looked a little bit more under the hood, you started to see, okay, well, Revenue is growing, but I can't pay my bills with revenue. The, the, the shareholder is not rewarded with revenue. The shareholder is rewarded with profit. The story here is telling me that the business is doing all these things to grow sales, but it's also sp increasing expenses at a faster rate. And so my, my profits are coming down. My operating profits are coming down. So the, the operational side of the business is deteriorating, okay? And then we're going to talk about some other thing that they did uh, that impacted them negatively. So then earnings from continuing operations, et cetera. But net income line item down here at the very bottom tells a very similar story. We didn't even have to get down to this line item to already tell this story. See, the, the keyword I keep using is story, right? Because that's what I'm building out here is a story. So as you guys are all following along, it's because I'm telling it in a story. Uh, hopefully, I'm doing a good job by it. You but, are. Uh, you should be kind of deriving a story from from what I'm saying, and that's helping you, you know, uh, stick along. This is always how you should pitch it to either a friend, a family member. Put it in a, in a story format, okay? Because uh, it gives you the full uh, explanation. Now we go to the balance sheet. So I'll talk right now and say I, I don't like Bob Iger as a CEO. That's a very controversial opinion because I do think Bob Iger from 2005, I believe, to 2015, he did really good things, but that doesn't take away from the destruction he incurred on Disney following that. So subsequent to that great time period, he destroyed the business or he harmed the business. And Bob Chapek took a lot of the fall for the mistakes of Bob Iger. Mm -hmm. uh, he was a fall man. And Bob Iger did a lot of things. One of the things he did was he uh, and I, I go down to remember, I talked about how you want to look at leverage. So this business used to operate at a much healthier clip or a much healthier stance, $17 billion in debt with about uh, $4 billion in cash. And the size of the business was relatively the same to where it was today. So for that size, for Disney size, it was a very healthy balance sheet, extremely healthy. And actually, they were commended for having a healthy balance sheet back then. Okay, well, they did some acquisitions, uh, Fox acquisition, et cetera. And then COVID happened. They borrowed even more money um, just to keep things, everything afloat. But that Fox acquisition was, I think, um, uh, ill-timed. Ill-timed. Uh, granted, you know, who knew that COVID would happen for them and et cetera, all that jazz. But point is, this is actually where we get into another conversation about management teams, allocation of capital, which I alluded to earlier. Management, because you don't control the business, you are trusting the management team. So part of your homework should always be looking at management team. I have sold out of businesses completely because I disagree with what management is doing. Because why would I continue to invest in that business? It, it makes no sense for me because I can't change anything. I only have to just trust what they're doing. And if I disagree with it, I don't want to be a part of it. Mm -hmm. So uh, Bob... Bob Iger's current plan, I agree with because it basically addresses all of my criticisms, but I still don't have faith or confidence in him necessarily as a CEO. And that's what's preventing me to making Disney a very big position. Um, it, it's really that I don't have that level of trust or, or liking for Bob Iger. Um, if there was someone else and I could make that determination that I liked them a lot, 
then you know we're in business and i would make disney at the right price a very large position but looking right here you can see basically that okay they're paying down the debt but the disney of today is not the disney of 2018 That's i hope correct. that my story has illustrated yeah. that this far yeah we, we see we see that the amount of money they spent and some of the mismanagement on on their end of what they're doing which i think they already mentioned on some of the earnings report as well i remember reading an article stating that bob Iger was saying that maybe they should just went to the licensing route like they were doing prior instead of starting mm -hmm. at Disney Plus because it is costing them a lot of money to put out content. Content that is actually not being delivered at the quality that people are expecting. So they're losing money. Precisely. And it's funny because Netflix has cracked the code. And I feel like it's a lot easier than people realize. But Disney is such a bloated business. Their their bureaucracy inside of Disney is, is, is making them incapable of adapting to what really needs to, to happen. So Netflix in my portfolio, for, for anyone who doesn't know, is a pretty large position in my portfolio. Um, and the confidence, the vote of confidence I have in Netflix's strategy versus Disney. And by the way, let's, let's talk about that for a second. When I w went bullish on Netflix, I was not supported too much by the YouTube audience community. Yeah. There were... Who saw it and I, I anyone can go back and watch the video i have a couple videos and they're usually pretty long but there's one that i posted that's almost an hour long that's the dd and so the dd was for free on youtube and uh i basically walked through the entire reason why i was buying netflix when i was buying it um but yeah it's, yeah, it's a good did, watch and you bought just so everyone knows the reason why your position is big and i was there i was in your room when you did that it was when Netflix dropped to, I think it was 150, correct? Around there. Yeah, I was not confident in Netflix. I still didn't think it was valued at a good price at that. You thought otherwise clearly panned out for you. I never invested into it. So that makes sense. I do want to touch on one thing real quick because there was a question in the chat. So you talked about stock-based compensation at first. On a balance sheet, where do you see that? So you see, uh, you won't... The quickest way actually for you to see it, especially like on a site like this, is actually just go to statement of cash flows. Um, so you'll see it right here very quickly. Statement of cash flows, uh, and then you'll see stock-based compensation right there. Boom. Fastest way for you to find it. All right. Perfect. Yeah. And so there you're seeing how much they are. So basically, because why? Why are we doing this? So the the theory behind this or the, or the thought process behind this is it's a non-cash expense. So we're, we're trying to reconcile it so that you're looking at only the cash that left or, or came out of the business. So $6.7 billion in cash is what Disney made from its operations. Uh, when you're looking at stock-based comp, that's an expense on, on the income statement because it is a real expense, by the way. But we're adding it back because it's not actual money that is leaving the business. No cash, no dollar bills left. They just paid their employees in, in, sorry, in stock. So that's the reason why it's doing that. Some people think it's like supposed to be misleading or whatever. No, no, quite. No, no. This is how it is supposed to be. As an investor, you might want to account for this. In finance, you'll learn uh, there's nothing stopping you from being creative with your analysis. You can create your own ratios. You might value different metrics more than others. You And this was when I was uh, um, studying, right? The, the professor I had, a brilliant guy, encouraged us to create our own metrics. So he, he always said that you learn all these basic, you're tested on all these metrics, et cetera, creating all these ratios and, and they're pretty basic. And then they, sometimes the formulas can get more and more complex as you progress. But the point of that is kind of just getting that level of mastery in the basics so that you understand the construction of them. 
And then you start to think creatively. And then you start to say, well, I want to look at this because I think this particular measure for that business is more important. And I'm going to create my little ratio and figure that out or whatever desired formula you start to create. Basically, you end up, you know, you, you use math, the math that you said, what, what am I ever going to use this for? You actually do use it. <laughs> yeah. But um, uh, the point is you, you can start to get creative, but there's nothing misleading about, you know, adding back stock based comps. So it's my little gripe. Awesome. Mo, you got anything? Uh, I was going to ask you. So, you know, you uh, look your do your analysis. You're like, OK, Netflix, it looks good. Now, let's say you've allocated a million dollars. That's how much your position will be Netflix. How do you start scaling in? Do you do any technical analysis or do you just like have a ratio that you start adding with? So that's actually a good question because the uh, for to give everyone why this is actually sometimes the most difficult part of investing, more difficult than picking the investment is al allocation. Allocation is <laughs> extremely important. Um, and I'd argue, again, more important than than the actual decision to invest. Um, okay, so where I go about it is I typically follow the same strategy. I break away from this sometimes because I'm human and my audience has seen me do this before. Um, and actually, I think the couple times that I broke away from this, um, I, they were flops. I think uh, uh, global payment systems, I added heavy in the beginning and that one was not, uh, did not do well. I think I lost about 20% on that investment. Um, but allocation heavy is, uh, I think it was like a, five percent at the time so nothing too big in the grand scheme of things um but it was way heavier than what i thought so going to your to your specific question about netflix what ended up doing that decision so while i'm going through part of my analysis um i i come to that determination as to what the target allocation will be predicated on how confident i am in my uh evaluation so that's more of a um, qualitative measure so let me walk through pretty much what I thought about with Netflix. So Netflix, I came to a list of scenarios, and I actually walked through that in the videos, uh, a list of scenarios that I believe the value of Netflix was at or what I think I would acquire it for. I do not, I never, I hardly ever do that, wait for it to get to that price point. And my audience, because that was the beauty of YouTube, that's why I love YouTube. It's, it's a way of documenting this through video format. Uh, my audience who's been watching me for a long time will be able to tell anyone, uh, oh, he he actually bought Netflix. I think my first shares of Netflix I bought in the low 200s, like the very first ones. And then if you look at my cost basis, um, it's because I, I kind of just dipped my toes in. And I do have a lot of positions that I do that. And right now, the one I can point to is um, Humana. I, I had a, let's call it a toe dip position in Tyson Foods until the most recent drop. Then I made it into something actually meaningful. But I do that quite often. Uh, where I start acquiring where I think the, the price is reasonable or debatably fair value. And then as it gets to my more aggressive prices, I begin to scale into the position. I like to have the dry powder and I have a philosophy that um, I, I'll prefer to wait. And if the position I bought in runs away from me, fine, there's other opportunities. So had I bought that small position in Netflix at the 200s or low 200s, um, and it just ran up to like 500 after that, fine, whatever. I'll hunt for something else. Um, I will wait patiently for that uh, opportunity. So that's where I, before we started the, the show, I said, 
Um, in the big scheme of things, I don't make too many investments. I do make actually a lot of investments. So I can't say that I don't make a lot of investments, but I make maybe two to three big investments a year. Um, and, and that's this year, one of them has been Amazon. That was one big investment that I have done. Um, and then we'll see what the, maybe if there's another one, but the one biggest one earlier was, was, was Amazon. So, um, by the way, if I, I know I go on tangents a lot. So if I didn't answer your question to your satisfaction, uh, ask it again or ask it in a different way. Cause I don't know if I answered it. No, you did. No, you did. I was, I just wanted to see like how much technicals you're watching. I wanted to bring this up too, because I see a lot of people, they don't understand how big position size is. Like you mentioned it, position size is, if anything, bigger than the actual picking of the stock because position size is directly tied to your emotions too. You go too big over leverage and even if the stock will work in the long run, you might just cut it because you went too big and it dropped. So I just wanted to show because I know you're off, of course you're scaling in, but I also wanted to know like how much attention you're paying to the price because you seem to be someone who's like more like a fundamental trader and yeah. you got to make sure like the fundamentals are good and then i guess you're what you're doing then is matching it with the price of the stock to make sure that at this price does it make sense or not and then kind of have that gauge is that right yes correct okay so um mark do you want to move to should i ask the red flag question if yeah. you don't have any Go okay for it. so the question that I have, and it's something that a lot of people like struggle with, you know, you we follow a lot of people, especially after 2020. And kind of the reason why we follow them is because a couple of their calls worked. And mostly they worked because everything was going up. Like if I told you right now that, oh, I invested in this stock, I'm up, I'm so smart. It's not really true because everything's going up right now. In the last six months, you could have bought pretty much anything. Now, if you bought NVIDIA, specifically in any chips, then, you know, like you said, you had a competitive advantage because compared to everything else, NVIDIA is up compared to everything else, Netflix is up. So that shows me that, you know, you know what you're doing, but the question is more so on the red flags. How do we avoid following these people or getting um, kind of like learning the wrong things? How can we catch this beforehand? Because once you're in it, it's already too late. How do you catch this before this happens like what kind of information are you scanning for these red flags and you're talking about red flags for the business not the creator who's presenting the, the information okay uh it's for the creators okay so, yeah the clowns yeah. the clowns out there that will you know <laughs> right now it's like netflix is awesome you missed the boat you know it's great right now buy now those those clowns you know what you're talking about. like I'll, I'll give you i'll give you an example yeah. we had someone and i brought them up without saying their name this is when we just got the recession, like not the recession, we started dipping and shop Shopify was at like $800 at that point. And the person like, just buy, this is how we're going to fight inflation. And I think if we take the split out, it went as low as 300 or even lower. And they kept telling people to buy from 800. So they were wrong at eight, seven, six, five, four. And eventually they are now right. So those kind of creators, the dodgy ones. Yeah. And, and those guys, so, so the buy forever mentality is a bit problematic because you can still underperform the broader indices. Um, just because like, if, if you're not, if you're not taking this carefully, it, it only takes one big mistake. If I'm, if I'm being real with you guys, it takes one big mistake and then all your track record of outperformance, if it was just pure luck or degeneracy, 
well, that's gone. <laughs> and um, it, it, that's all that's all it really does take. And and overconfidence is going to be your enemy in investing. Um, I I'll say a big red flag is when a creator is using their returns in any given name as kind of like the marketing tactic. Unfortunately, that's that's what it works or that's what works. And people in my community have kind of uh, we've having discussions about to counter that or to try to, uh, uh, let's say, save some people. Maybe I should implement. Unfortunately, you can't beat them, join them kind of an, uh, approach, which I'm, I've been hesitant to do. But and, and the like, let's take a specific example. Is that OK if I use specific names? Go ahead. OK, so Jeremy from Financial Education. He's a great example of this kind of marketing strategy where he will use Tesla. Look at his story. Look at his Instagram story today, in fact. Um, he will use Tesla. He'll post Tesla gains and he has that one stock, right? And then he's, and then he uh, follows it up by his Patreon link so that you pay him so that he can show you what he buys on Friday. He spends $150, buys what he wants on Friday. And there are people, there's plenty of people that want to give him money. He has like, I think over what, 7,000 patrons now all paying him 10 bucks a month. So there you go. 70,000 <laughs> right there. Uh, <laughs> And um, he's a great investor, apparently. Uh, but <laughs> tattoo he, chef. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so he also will show his portfolio of like 1.6 million, and he used to have a 2. Point something million dollar portfolio, but he, you know, doesn't, you know, relay that information. He's he's hiding that information. That's targeting the new person. But you, let's say you don't know that. Let's say you just came across him for the first time, and you're like, okay, what are the red flags? Well, showing you uh, a a stock that he did really, really, really well in, right? A single stock that he did really, really well in. Then followed up by some sort of promotional offer, uh, saying, "Okay, now buy my course." Because th there's a, there's an there's something that's implied there. He's implying that he's an amazing investor and that a lot of his stocks will perform like that, like Tesla, and it wasn't luck, and he will continue to do so. Um, and he also has like another investment that did really well, which was Elf. But you see, like that's where we get back into allocation. And is it luck or is it skill? Uh, because you can pick a thousand stocks and you're going to have some that are, are really good, or you can pick a lot of stocks and you're gonna have a lot that are really good. But in aggregate, how are you going to be doing over that long period of time? Um, and that's where you're, that's where you're going to be really be tested. And there, let's talk about another guy, um, you know, uh, Nash, Mr. Nash over there. So Nash, uh, is one that uses sometimes some, uh, interesting tactics where he'll talk about a ton of stocks. And then he'll highlight that one stock that went up, uh, which I think he made a video. On, I think the most recent time he did this was, was it Oracle? Uh, I think it was Oracle. But yeah, he made videos about tons of stocks. He doesn't talk about the ones, all the ones that went down. And he highlights the one that went up. Um, and then again, followed by the implication that he's really good at what he does, et cetera. And you should be following him and then also pay him, by the way. Um, so they're very promotional is what, what I'm getting at. And they make money primarily from you giving them money, not from their investments. So I like to say as a joke, really cynical joke, imagine a finance YouTuber that mainly makes their money from their investments. <laughs> oh, that's, that's wild, right? That's crazy to think about. Um, because nearly none of them do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're you're one of the few ones. Uh, and, and shout out to Tom Nash. I'm actually bored. I'm, he's one of my buddies, so I know you guys don't like him. I actually get along with Tom Nash pretty well. He's a nice guy. Life. Yeah, he is. He's a terrible investor. Terrible investor. I already told him that. But he's <laughs> it, him and I we're, we're cool. He's I I think he's a generally good dude. But yeah, he's 
I've seen Palantir. like ten tweets from him on just Palantir since. Oh, yeah, he's, he's a Palantir simp. He's a he's a Palantir simp, a Tesla simp, and I think a SoFi simp. I could be wrong about SoFi. I so. I, I I don't want to say that you don't want to highlight your winners because I I mean I don't do that. So if you go on my channel, I I just say find the meta videos that I spam meta. Like I'm up 200 yeah. something percent on meta now. I don't spam meta videos. And in fact, I get questions. Can you do a meta video? And I literally just say, go watch my video I made on meta in November. Nothing's changed. Yeah. Yeah. All right. <laughs> let's, uh, let's go to some questions real quick to see if anyone has any questions. Oh, okay. Here's uh Trey. It says, what, let me, can we highlight this? Oh yeah. There you go. Here's one. What metric should one use to invest in a company while it's still not profitable, yet things are improving? I'm assuming he's probably talking about something, for example, like SoFi, which is a company that is um, was not profitable for the longest time, completely tanked, and now it's kind of coming back because the market's coming back as well, but they're starting to turn things around. So what metrics do you use? So with with a non-profitable business, this it, it becomes it becomes more nuanced, right? First, let's let's kind of say does management currently have a target of profitability? Are, are they saying by X year, we're going to be profitable? That's a good goalpost, right? To start with. And then now uh, I want you to look at that company. And this is like, I can say it like this way because it's not really financial advice. This is more like a homework. So you go find that business that you're thinking about, Trey. And you start to say, do they have a goalpost of when they're going to be profitable? Now start to judge them on that goalpost. Give them a, like a report card. This is like your management report card. Are they being, uh, are, how are they doing to getting to that goal? That's one, one thing. Uh, two, okay, so usually when a company's not profitable, they're going to be looked at in a different manner. They're going to be looked at for their, for their growth, all right? And you, for the most part, you'll see time and time and time again, when a company is that's not profitable and they're in their growth phase, if at any point in time that growth starts to slow down, what do you see the share price do? It craters because the point is the market is rewarding them for taking market share and believing that profitability will come. And then you're going to get stuck up in that and you need to understand that that is the narrative you're going to be playing by. There is no fundamental uh, uh, backbone to that business at that point in time. It's all future potential because you're investing in a business that is not producing uh, a profit. So you're, you're writing a narrative. That's always going to be the case. Give me any unprofitable business and I will show you why you're writing a narrative. You are 100% writing a narrative. The narrative could be right though, okay? Plenty of times we can point to uh, companies where the narrative was in fact right. Amazon is a great example where they don't really show, they, for a long time they didn't show profits. Mm -hmm. But Amazon's a weird one because Amazon is a case of where you should have been paying attention to the cash flow. So they were cash flow positive way before they were net income positive. That segues into that. They may not be gap net income positive. They might be cash flow positive. Now you don't stop there. You never stop there. Okay. How are they cash flow positive? Break that down. Okay. Because sometimes they're cash flow positive, but like I was just describing earlier, when you look at their cash flow statement, you see a little sneaky stock-based compensation. And that's the only reason why they're cash flow positive. <laughs> So if you remove that, they're cash flow negative. Oh, that mm -hmm. changes the story right there. So that's something you want to want to pay attention to. So you know, you follow along that that train and 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 that should help you to to again build out that story. But they could be a very very fast growing business. I I want to say that you want to look at that durable competitive advantage in their moat. How is their gross profit? You know, uh, that's not where you should stop. Um how is their 
actual EBITDA margins, their operating margins, right? How are those doing? So you want to look at that. All right. And we have one more question we're going to get to before we play the game. Then we're going to wrap it up. So here's um, an another one from Trey. Trey always asks questions. That's good. All right. What are some unprofitable companies that Capital Mindset is looking at? Um, I want to see. Wait, let me make sure they are unprofitable because there's one that comes to mind, but I don't know if they're unprofitable and they're an investment I have. Yeah, they're not profitable right now. Uh, so that would be Zillow Group. So Zillow, but they're small uh, holding, but I technically own them. So there, there's one that I, I bought. Um, and I'm actually up now on Zillow Group because I just set, checked the price. Uh, yeah, 47. Heck yes. Um, I'm trying to think of another business that I own that is currently unprofitable because none of my big investments are unprofitable. I think for unprofitable businesses, I tend to keep them more on the speculative side. Uh, but they do make it within my portfolio. I'm trying to think. I, I swear there's another one that's in there. Uh, uh, there's some that were like temporarily unprofitable for like one-time reasons. Those don't count. I don't count those. No worries. We, we could go. We could go I don't think another. so. I don't think I have many. All right. By Charles, the come up series. What is your thoughts on Apple and Microsoft? How they continue to defy the gurus that their time is up? Uh, oh, for me? Yes. Okay, so uh, I think that both are like the business, what you're looking at for both Microsoft and Apple in terms of returns is just multiple maintenance. What do I mean by that? So a lot of the returns you saw, Charles, with Apple and Microsoft was multiple expansion. If you, I don't know how long you've been investing, but I was just say, if you were investing- years. Back, <laughs> he's been he's like 30, 40 years. He's a, he's like, yeah, he's been investing for quite some time. So then in that case, I'll say, recall to 2016, what was Apple's multiple at and what happened? Apple's multiple in 2016 was that, it was like in the low teens. So what you see now is Apple's multiple, what is it at 30, 25, somewhere in the maybe 20s. But point being, you saw earnings growth. It's not like you didn't see any earnings growth. You saw earnings growth, but you also saw the market reward Apple. So it was paying more for every new dollar that uh, Apple was earning. Mm -hmm. So that multiple expansion was a huge part of that return. Same thing with Microsoft. You go back 2015, people weren't really touching Microsoft. The story was there. Um, the story was there. And now that they've executed on that story, the market is now saying, well, now they have one of the most durable, high profit businesses in the entire planet. Um, and there's no one really coming for them. They also are at the head or forefront of this AI craze with ChatGPT or their, their ownership stake in, in um, open AI. So that also builds that narrative component to the investment. So you are basically going to make money here from multiple maintenance, but I don't usually like those setups. They can do well, by the way. In fact, most of the time, you do most of the time you, you'll see multiple maintenance and the businesses continue to grow. So if you believe that the, the market will always keep Microsoft and Apple in that quality bucket, that high, high quality bucket where everyone's always going to be willing to pay more for the same earnings um, that Apple's growing, even though their growth rate will come down. I know Apple's has come down. Then you should you should fairly do fine. You should basically expect a return in line with their EPS growth. That's that's more or less what you should be expecting as if as long as multiple maintains. If anything happens that the story starts to change, the chink, the loss potential is pretty insane. So with Microsoft, I can tell you if anything occurs that causes a chink in that narrative, not saying I see one, right? That's the point. We don't see it happening. We don't see it coming. Any chink, boom, you will see a significant drop in Microsoft because the setup just isn't very good. Meta was the reverse. 
where in November, I forget the exact day, but November 2022, the setup was beautiful, okay? Where the expectation was that Meta will fail. Uh, and then so all that Meta had to do was just not fail, not necessarily succeed, just not fail. So the setup was, was perfect. Um, so you're, you're in the opposite camp where everyone identifies that Microsoft is great. No, it's not a secret. And you're hoping that it just the market will continue to pay a really high premium. And then your return will be just, again, that growth of EPS. So. All right. Perfect. So we're going to wrap it up real quick with the game. And we're closing out for the day. Do you have any other questions, Mo? Oh, you're muted, dude. I'm good. You good? All right. Yeah. Cool. Let's go to. All right. So this is how this game works. I'm going to give you some tickers. Yay or nay. As in yay, you would invest into it. Nay, you would skip. All right. Or and if you don't have any idea to say, I don't know. All right. Right. Okay. I love it. All right. A H A E H R. I don't know what that one is. A E. Yeah. Let's here. He put he put four up here. Oh, okay. Uh, geez, I actually I don't know any of these. Wait, yeah, PSTG sounds familiar. Hold on, hold on. PSTG. That sounds familiar. That one sounds familiar. What is this one? Oh, pure storage. Uh, uh yeah. I, I I don't really have an opinion on any of these, but pure storage, I'd be cautious on. I think they're probably up because of the uh, AI boom. Because if they're a digital storage, um, I, yeah, I don't really have good opinions on any of them, unfortunately. Okay. INTA, I think I was asked about that the other day, though. Let me make sure it is this one. Insurance company? No, it's not. Okay. No, it's not. Next, SoFi. SoFi was... Okay, so... <laughs> just the nay. Just the nay. Was a Was a yay for fun. Now it's a nay. Okay. Um, Tesla, of course. Tesla is a nay. The setup is not good. FRC. That's a dead company. What, what? <laughs> I don't know why it's even there. First uh, Republic. Rick. Rick. Yay. Okay. Uh, PayPal. Yay. Um, Setup is good. What's another? I think Fu had had one that he was asking in here. Careful with Fu hats. Uh, I know. <laughs> uh, well, Burger BurgerFi. That's a nay. Nay. I'll, I'll answer that right away. Mm -hmm. It was one. Fu had. If you can you drop the ticker in again that you wanted, um, Fabio to to recover. So Netflix right now. Netflix. Is there a neutral? Okay, we could go neutral. with that. AMD. Neutral. Palantir. Neutral. Ah, uh, nay. No, nay. Nay okay. for Palantir. Target. Close to yay. Procter & Gamble, PG. Nay. All right, there's a full hat one. Uh, P-P-R-U-Y. Uh, first one, I'll, I'll say nay. Second one, I'll say neutral. Neutral, okay. Bug. Never seen bug. Let me let me see what what bug is again. Oh, global. global. Okay, so this is an ETF. Uh, yeah, yay. Yay for that. Um, generally speaking, strong tailwinds. You're put playing the whole system. So Okay. And I got Neo. Nay. No, I don't touch Chinese. Okay. Uh, we already did Tesla. This new company that just went IPO, Kava, C-A-V-A, -A, um, it went up 90% today. Oh, then probably it's a nay. Brand new. Everyone's saying it's going to be the new um, Chipotle. Oh, well... I don't like companies that are the next something. Usually they, they those historically don't turn out well. But uh, I'll say if it went up 90%, definitely nay, especially if it recently IPO'd. I like to let things simmer out before I okay. go in. That's actually advice I give that person who asked. Um, Best Buy. Let me see what the price is right now because that it really does depend. Okay, kind of more in the in the um, getting close to yay. Okay. Uh, Verizon. Nay. Uh, Louis Vuitton, LVMH. Oh, that is almost, it's hard for me to say nay, but neutral. Wait, watch that one. Put that one on your watch list, everyone. <laughs> okay. Um, Coke, not Coca-Cola, but Coke, the bottling nay. company. The, oh, the bottling? a bottling company. Oh, yeah. um, no, that, that's, that's -E. uh, 
it's borderline yay but okay. it's more I, neutral. I, I love coke um apple neutral to slightly nay coin nay hood nay ai nay enph and phase nay wow citibank very dangerous for retail um neutral because they have a lot of unknown risk okay. and that's why they're so cheap all the time zd i don't know what that one is i don't remember zd all right and then um last one from the audience l h x oh that's a that's a yay yeah okay and then deck deck uh, i don't remember this one let me let me look at the ticker real quick deck oh decker outdoors uh neutral slightly nay all right Mo, do you have any that anyone asks asks you about i just find the tickers very funny the people that the it's i won't say much but uh i know why people are picking those tickers but okay i'll give you two oh, we'll be quick shop shop is a former love story of mine um I, what are they at right now because uh 65 65 but that's like let me i'll go off of market okay actually actually wow it's come down a lot that one's now leaning i did not know they came down this much oh man i wish i wish someone had notified me <laughs> i got yeah, i got, it, it went down to I got an f59 that's what i'm asking it's 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 actually kind of leaning on that uh yay yeah okay and i'll give you a bad one in the sense that how much they've drawn a firm Oh no, nay. I thought nay, so. nay, nay. Okay. And then last one, Snowflake. Good company. Valuations terrible. Neutral. Neutral. All right. That is it. That is the end of the show. Listen, Fabio, thank you so much. Yeah. Um, I'm you know what? I'm I'm gonna do something. Um, I'm breaking the rules here. Mo doesn't know about this, so I, I didn't tell you Mo because I didn't want to get you in trouble. And um, there's a rule here on this channel. We don't sell products here, regardless if a person has a product or not. The thing is this, so many people have bought shitty courses, been part of a bunch of crappy um, discords, trading groups, um, PowerPoint briefings that spent hundreds to thousands of dollars for. People have joined a stock club that cost $10,000 and learned absolutely nothing. You have a stock club. You have a stock club that's actually very valuable. You do meetings once a week, usually on a Sunday, where you will analyze stocks like we just did now, where I put it in there, but you actually analyze them. And I've seen you in the room anywhere between, on average, you're what, two to three hours, but you've been as long as eight hours answering everyone's questions, analyzing companies, analyzing stocks, and going through stuff. You literally get legitimate value from your community and your group for what you're doing in there. So I don't, we were not supposed to pitch stuff here, but I'm going to pitch your, your discord group today. Listen, everybody, it's not for just one coffee. If you, if you ditch one coffee a day, you could subscribe to him. No, it's if you ditch one coffee a month, you can join his official stock club. We will learn actual stuff. It is $5 a month. There you go. I'm putting it in the, I'm putting it in the, in the um, comments right there. You're more than welcome to sign up. Everyone I think is extremely valuable. It's only $5 a month. You get to have access to Fabio, like we just did. Everything you just saw him do here, he does on Sundays. What else do you get in your group? Uh, you get also a, a Thursday stream, write-ups, um, and basically just the rest of the community, which is also really good to learn from the other members because there's a lot of people in there who know their stuff. Yeah, you have real me. financial accountants and analysts and stuff in your group as well. 
Um, yeah. yeah, your group is small. So and you're not doing this to profit because that five dollars a month goes to who? It basically goes to a lot of the uh, management of the club itself. So any projects that we try to build out over time, it goes to that. Yeah. yeah. So I'm putting it in there. You guys are more than welcome to sign up. Also subscribe to Fabio's channel. He's got a really small channel, but it's growing. Um, he just go through his stuff. He has a list. I think if you join the stock club, you have an Excel spreadsheet where you have the link to every single company that you have analyzed, which I think is over a hundred. Am I right? It's In definitely over. It's definitely over a hundred. I have to update that, but it, it's actually for. I think they're they're. I have to up update it and then post it again in my videos because it's it's for everyone. It's supposed to help people navigate through my video library. So, okay. All right. So there, if you guys are interested in joining a real stock club, all right, not a fan club, now some BS, a real stock club where people really analyze companies and make you a better investor, $5 a month. No Mimo do not get a cut from it. Um, clearly Fabio doesn't keep it himself. He doesn't need to. So if you want to join and learn some stuff, by all means, join a discord group. There is some degeneracy that goes into the general chat as well. But for the most <laughs> part, if you, if you go there, um, sit in, I think it's, it's just, just for your, your time that you sit down every single week to go over stocks, I think it's very well worth it. So everyone, thank you so much for tuning in. Mo, do you got anything? Nope. I think we're good. So listen, Fabio, seriously, thank you so much. Everyone, We'll see you next week. Please give us a thumbs up, subscribe, and share this with people out there who you think may need help to become a better investor. And let's continue to grow together. So until next time, y'all, my name is Mark with Halfbreed Observer slash Uncultured Currency. Mo, where can I find you? Uh, you can find me on OTB Clubhouse on Instagram. And I promised you guys I'll be doing lives every Wednesday at 2 p.m. PST. And then you can follow me on Twitter at OTB Shark Mo. Yes, every Wednesday on Twitter and Instagram, right? Is where Instagram you go live. Yeah. Yeah, and, uh, and Fabio, where can they catch you? You can find me on YouTube, pretty much, <laughs> or in, in Discord. <laughs> yeah, because you don't do Basically. Twitter and Instagram like that, really, do no, you? No, no, I, I don't. I, unfortunately, I don't have time, but maybe one day. <laughs> All right. And uh, just so you know, when you do join the stock club, you're not going to have access to him 24 seven. He has a career. So don't and don't ask simple questions, please. There's plenty of other educated people in there that are licensed and analysts who are willing to help. So until next time, y'all. Peace out. That's Hunter.